welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. Good afternoon. How are we doing? Sun's shining in Glasgow. There's no better place to be. We wouldn't need to go anywhere if the weather is like this all the time. Um, I love it. I love it. Um, it really helps as we are at the beginning of a, a new focus as we enter into the, the season of Lent. Um, our series through the season or the focus in our teaching and our time around in our worship together is going to be on the, the theme of solitude and prayer. And our passage, which is from the lecture reading, helpfully uh, leads us into that with Jesus' famous um, lengthy time in solitude in the wilderness, uh, which will be our, our text and our on-ramp into this uh, series uh, that I hope will be helpful um, through the um, season of Lent. You do not have to celebrate Lent. I, I find it a helpful uh, practice. There's different approaches in the churches, but um, I, I suspect leaning into something around solitude and prayer should be a helpful starting place. Solitude as a, a practice or in the Christian life is grounded um, in the life of Christ that we see in the Gospels. Luke 5.16 tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Indeed, the picture in the Gospels is that Jesus would be managing his time with his um, sometimes hapless disciples, managing the crowds, his compassion on them, and at key points would withdraw to lonely places, as Luke says, to um, to be with his father, to um, be in that place of prayer and to be, often to lead out into important moments in his life and ministry. And so there's a sense of, you could put it as simply as this when it comes to the practice of solitude. As it was a practice of Jesus, so it should become a practice of people who follow in the way of Jesus today. Now I want to take a few minutes just at the start by way of introduction to I guess define solitude, if solitude needs defined, um, and also hint at a wee bit of the how-to before we really just dive right into the particular story in the, in the wilderness, Temptations of Jesus. Ruth Healy Barton, who's a writer and thinker, she defines uh, solitude, and this is from memory, but this is a version of the truth, of being alone and present to God and God alone. So it's being alone and being present to God and God alone. It's that intention of, it's not just being alone, it's being alone and intentionally being present to God and God alone. Sometimes um, I think solitude and Sabbath get mixed up. We think Sabbath is a wee bit of our downtime, our me time, and there's maybe a bit of that. It's about rest and recovery and prayer. But Sabbath also has a, a social element to it about being together and celebrating and being his people. Um, solitude is the, the practice that is the place where you are intentionally carving out time, like Jesus did, 
to be alone and alone to God and God alone. Um, it's, so we're looking for a place then that is void of distractions. Anything that would distract us from prayer, we attend to. And it's something beyond our regular devotion, um, however strong uh, your regular devotion is at the minute. It, it, it's something more than that. It's, it's something uh, beyond maybe in time and intention beyond just what we normally do in our, in our devotions of prayer, reading the Bible. And then actually, on top, while we're on the topic of reading the Bible, it's even not about being in a place of solitude so that you can catch up in your reading plan and get through it and come back with a tick box and go, you know, I've accomplished something. Do you know, for those personality types who like to achieve and like lists ticked, it's actually not a place even to get into reading your Bible and, and ticking things off. It's a place to be in solitude and present to God and God alone in prayer. And ultimately, we're looking for a measure of Time that is, as I say, beyond something of your regular rhythm, but something that is also practical and possible for you in your stage of life as you know it best. Um, 40 days might be a bit much for some, but there's a, a unit of time. It could be, it could be an hour. It could be uh, an intentional half day. It could be a couple of, it could be a whole day. There's a whole range. It's, it's a sense of an interruption that works for you and your stage of life is how I would uh, try and describe it in terms of pointing to some how-tos. For me, it starts with usually a walk because at least stops my mind and I go on the walk and then I gather my thoughts somewhere where I can be not distracted. Um, so there's a wee bit, of, that's what the actual practice, if you like, of uh, solitude is, is, is about. And we're going to just push some simple resources at times in our social media and our emails so that to offload lots of descriptors in this moment about what it actually looks like. Um, because our passage um, focuses more on the type of work that gets done in those places of solitude and the value of it. And um, so I'm going to start just with the value of um, the work that is done in that place of solitude. Now forgive me for um, the intrusion of a golfing analogy. I, I try to keep these to a minimum because I know about only two people in Adelaide place like golf. But um, the, forgive me for being a little undisciplined on that front. Um, for many amateur golfers, uh, getting rid of your slice is one of the most frustrating and yet important things you need to be able to do. It's the one shot that holds you back more than anything else. You don't need to know very much about it. It's kind of when you cut across the ball, if you're right-handed, everything just goes right. If you're left-handed, it just shoots out left. For the non-golfer, what you need to know is what it feels like to be a golfer, an amateur golfer with a slice. It, it feels a wee bit like you're set to run a race and somebody's like tied weights around your ankle and then you just, you just feel like you can't compete. Right, right from the get-go, you're just hampered. Before you even get out of the blocks, you just know you can't compete because you've got this, this thing that is holding you back and you just know it's there and it can lead to places of real um, frustration. For any amateur golfers, you will know what that is all about. And the annoying thing about it is, if you had Googled slice, how to cure your slice, and you know the way when you Google one thing, it pops up on your social media feeds for like the next... 45 hours, you're like, 
who's watching me? But anyway, so if you've Googled how to correct a slice, you'll start to see all these promises bouncing onto your social media feed of like three easy fixes for your slice or follow my one course and you'll never slice a ball. You know, all these promises of easy fixes whenever the reality is what most of us will, who have kind of made some progress with realize is there's no actual real easy fixes, but what we do need to get is into what some coaches call the ugly zone of practice with somebody who can help you with the things that you currently cannot do. And they can point out things where you're swinging, what you're doing, that just shows you that you don't normally attend to, that's not normally in your field of vision, or you maybe choose to go like, like I don't have time to figure that out. But it's in that place, the reality of getting into that sort of ugly zone, what it's called, because you're in a place where you have to admit I, I can't do this and I have to expose my ineptness to somebody more wise than I so that they can actually help me. And it's in that place that we actually start to see a change in, in the world of golf. And so it's a dedicated space to work on the things we tend to want to avoid. And this is more akin to the value of solitude, which is getting into that space where we are able to acknowledge things before God that we would either rather not to, not want to, and need to, so that we can move forward and so that we can enter into the season of um, Lent. If you were to try and sum up what I think the season of Lent is trying to achieve is a deeper repentance, which is a, a deeper turning in a different direction, not just kind of walking back on the train, you're going this direction, no, getting off the train and going in a different direction, letting things go and moving in a different direction. Lent is a season where we, where we, the church is invited to go deep into that journey of change. And I would suggest it's somewhat akin to uh, the trials and tribulations of a golfer trying to get into that place, which I'll call the ugly zone. This is the value of solitude that we are, are trying to tap into so that we can say, and we see the, the, the value just evidence in the, at the end of this account on Matthew's gospel where Jesus is able to say, away with you, Satan. I want to call this message, away with you, Satan. It might sound a little strange, but it's, it's a statement that could be, look, away with you, anger or impatience. Away with you, destructive habit. Away with you, overly critical persona that you have. It's a, it's a moment where actually we, we say to ourselves, no, there's an actual change that can be brought here where things are left behind. And it's that sort of invitation. But what's it going to take then to, to find this um, sort of strength if it's not going to be three easy fixes to cure your slice sort of stuff? or a magic prayer, or a, a powerful worship time together that's not going to actually change how you're living your life, or if it's not even a, a well-balanced sermon with enough theological insight and enough direction and enough stories to move your heart, if these things in and of themselves are not going to, to change what needs to change, well, whatever the value, whatever the benefits, they're going to come through connecting to the uniqueness of Jesus. They, they, they are not things that we can accomplish ourselves. And the backdrop 
of this passage we have in Matthew 4 should not be missed of Jesus in the wilderness because he will pass the test that, that we would have failed. And the New Testament writers will go to enormous lengths to tell the good news that Jesus offers us hope over the work of evil, over the work of our own propensity to, to sin and to mess things up, and the way God and his new world, the way back to God and his new world will be based on Christ's work and not on humanity's best performance. And so the gospel writers will, will want you to know, their, their original audience would have been probably very attuned to this. Whenever they see Jesus go into the wilderness and succeed, their minds will go back to the garden where we have a comparison then going on in our mind of Jesus and Adam. And Adam took the forbidden fruit and fell. And also, so Jesus, we find, succeeding where Adam failed. And also we will find, as we even see the story, the 40 days is obviously akin to the 40 years of the people of God. And is going through the, the desert as they left Egypt. And they went this winding, faithless journey and constantly Yahweh rescuing them, but then constantly turning and going their own way. And so where Adam failed, Jesus doesn't. And where um, Israel failed and were faithless, we find Jesus uniquely doesn't. And so we don't need to just get alone and get away on the paddleboard and get away from all. We need to be alone and with and present to God alone and to the one who here is the one who is the only one who is able to be our helper and our savior. Now, the type of work I think that gets done in this place, it, it might be a two out of 10 progress. There might not be as much drama as I might be leading it to believe. It might just be a, a sort of two out of 10 improvement, something, a little iteration in your life. Other times it might feel more dramatic, 10 out of 10 and like serious change is coming. You feel like you're ready to run and run faster and harder and more faithfully to Jesus. The work of transformation is kind of not dependent on us. It's, it's a work that the Spirit wants to do. So the frustrating thing is we are not in control. But what we find is that there is a, a, a work of transformation. And now, whatever scale in, 2 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 1 or half a mark out of 10, whatever the change is, um, the work then is also a spirit-led encounter as the, all the gospel writers make it clear, marks this particularly urgent that the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. But Matthew just says that the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. So I think that's interesting. It's a Spirit-led encounter in the wilderness. Now, we've already highlighted that there's a pattern of solitude in the life of Jesus where he'd withdraw and be with the Father. He would withdraw from the crowds. And, and this is a particularly unique one where he spends 40 days, 40 nights. But we find it's the spirit -led, in this spirit-led encounter, God does a, a special kind of work that won't happen in, in a place uh, like this. Now, spirit-led does not always or often mean, mean loud, impressive, on-stage demonstration, miracles, spontaneity. Fun. Sometimes we can put too much of the Spirit's role in that basket of things that are impressive and, and outward and, and demonstrative. What we see here is this Spirit-led encounter is that God often does his most significant work off-grid, out of sight, in 
hidden places, in, in quiet places. And so it is a spirit type of work. And, and theologians, the Bible will make it clear that the, the spirit has been given as the personal presence of God who shines light on the work of Jesus and applies it to the, to the fabric of our lives. The spirit is also the one who, who sheds brightly and floods our heart that this love of God the Father is ours. And that's a work the spirit wants to do, loves to do. And he, he, he loves to illumine God's word, not just so the pages, like, so the words jump off the page, but, but also so that the, the words become uh, written on our hearts. They become a habit of the way we live. And therefore, to talk about this space from this text is it's a spirit-led encounter in the place of the wilderness, the place of, of solitude, where Jesus is <coughs> tested for any potential gaps between theory and practice, between what he says he is and what he will actually do. And of course, again, he passes the test. Now, it's, it's interesting, I think, on this front, we are, we probably, I'm, I'm going to guess, we probably in our minds can go quite quickly to think God or Jesus is fully God. But actually what this story tests our imagination and our faith to think, yes, Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully human. He's fully man. And so these tests are not just sort of fake tests where he's already, he's already flanked it or, you know, passed it with flying colors. These, whatever's going to go on in this spirit-led encounter, for Jesus as fully human, will be a genuine test to his humanity. And so, um, and so it's, a, it's a proper deep work of the spirit, and he finds no gaps between who he says he is and what he actually does. So it's a spirit-led encounter in this place of solitude. But it is also... A, a sifting kind of work that goes on in a space like this, where we get exposed to more of what is going on than we normally acknowledge, or need to acknowledge, if you like, or would care to acknowledge. Um, a good coach, and like even a coach in your workplace who helps you, a mentor, well, you know, if you imagine coming in with a young prodigy comes along and said, look, I just went to this meeting and everybody was against me and I prepped for it and, and you know, they blocked me every turn and that person always blocks me and they come. You know, a good coach in that moment will more than likely start to say, and, and, and what else was going on? And, and how did you show up in that space? And, and how did you prepare for that? And you know, a, a coach will just peel back the person with all their, their bluster that's just describing what's happening, and if you like, on, on top. And a, a good coach will start to actually make you realize actually what else was going on, actually what was going on in you. How do you show up? And could even be in a context like us as a community, as the church, how do we show up in this community? How does our voice, how, do you, how, how does our our presence come across in this community? How do we show up? And th these are questions that just kind of are meant to stop us in our tracks from normal mode. And we realize that when we get alone before God, it's a sifting kind of work. It's not comfortable. And this is the type of work that we see going on here with Jesus. 
Jesus was sifted on questions of control. I go back to that mention of this is trusting Jesus was fully God, but also fully man in his humanity. He was sifted. So these are things that I actually had a, had a pull. Something had a pull that was, that they were trying to um, reach this, this um, person. Jesus was sifted on questions of control. Turn these stones into bread, which is like, another like, take charge, get on top of the situation. There's a problem to solve. Get on top of it, find solutions. When the very thing needed is to relinquish control and simply to rely upon God's provision. Jesus obviously passes the test. He sifted on questions of gifting and show. It's like, throw yourself off here and surely God's angels will come and collect you and, and you know, show us some of the impressive stuff. And Jesus kind of says, I, I, I ain't here to be impressive. I'm not here to test God. I, I'm not a stunt man to come and just on, on command start to test um, God. He's sifted in the temptations on questions of, of power. And however questions of power manifest in our communities where, where Satan says to him, Look, you can have everything. I will give all of this to you. Maybe for us, it's, it's the pay rise if you just cut a corner or trample over this person, or I will give you a reputation if you just ignore this part of your mistakes and just cover that over, or just walk over that person, just compromise, it won't matter, you can have it all on your own terms. And, and, and Jesus just says, look, I, I, I'm not here for the power games, I'm the ones you will actually give up my life, and it's ultimately worship the Lord God and him alone. And classically, many would say the temptations come at us in our lives in, in different forms. The flesh, which speaks of disordered desires that come from within. The world, the, the pull of just the dominant culture of, of a world that's kind of moving in a different direction on particular things at particular times. And we, we just feel the pull of it and we feel tempted and drawn into the mainstream and it's just easier, it's just accidental, it just happens. And of course then the angle of the devil, the schemes and strongholds of an invisible yet manifest evil. Either way, the result with Jesus would be the same. He succeeds, he's faithful where um, Adam failed, where Israel failed. And he comes to this point, and this is the glorious part where he says, Away with you, Satan. <laughs> I love that moment. It's just, sometimes when I just read text, I just say, what, what, what one phrase do I want to sit with? If this is why, just, just Jesus calmly saying, away with you, Satan. And then there was a moment of delight, which I nearly missed when the angels attended to Jesus. And it made me think, like, do you know when I could talk about this ugly zone, this solitude, and people think, oh my goodness, I don't think I could make it into that dark place. Actually, it's not all bad in there. You know, when you, when you put your hands, yourself in the hands of a loving, caring God, yes, it can be uncomfortable, but there's this brilliant moment where he, he just says, away with you, I'm going in this direction. And it's, it's a moment, I guess, of victory. And this type of work is a chance to examine the scripts that we are running in our brain that are tempting us away from the way of Jesus. 
And the work is not to get stuck on the symptoms per se that come up. Maybe you go and you think about a list of your bad behavior you think that God just wants to talk to you about for about four hours. And actually you find when you sift through, there's just a whole bunch of other things going on driving the things that are going on in your life. So this is a deeper, more reflective look at what's going on in our lives. It's a time when the ego just gets a break, a little bit lowered, our, our defense mechanisms can just take some time off, we can just chill out a bit and just name what is going on rather than the armory that we sometimes put up. My mind goes, to imagine the golfer looking at his opponents on the first tee, knowing he's fixed his, his or her slice and they're going to play golf and he just knows he can compete. What a good feeling to be in that place where you're just saying, away with you, Satan, away. And it's, it comes from a place, a conviction of, cha- of change and the possibility of change. Imagine yourself, not the golfer, but just um, however many days are left of Lent, um, is to do it once or twice or once a week, whatever is possible. If you did it once and talked about your experience with somebody else, that would be... That would be a great thing. You manage to carve out space to be with Jesus and God alone. And you actually were able to bring that back in community. It's not about being isolated. And I realize that loneliness is a huge challenge for many people. So maybe this is not the practice for you right now. But it's ultimately in that practice, those times, you're, it's to help you to take up your place in community and to love God more faithfully and to love your neighbor more wholeheartedly. That's the end game. It's not just to go into this deep world of introspection. And so that's why we're encouraging a very basic entry level for all of us to be, let's just do a little bit of it, talk about it, see how it goes. Um, Amen? Thank you. (laughs) I can rely on my my corner of my right. That's good. Um, But you know what? When it all comes together... And we get little moments where the scripts that are running of our lives get interrupted, challenged, or changed. Do you know what? We get to see glimpses of the kingdom life. (laughs) We get to see glimpses of Jesus' will for life breaking in. Meaning there is the genuine possibility of change, of a deeper repentance that joyfully leads to good fruit. And dare I say that, in in an age of apathy, where... Um, there's many reasons why we could be defeatist. There's this quite joyful invitation to participate in the divine life that can give strength. And it could almost sound arrogant or naive to say, away with you, jealousy. Away with you, lust. Away with you, despair. Away with you, fear. Away with you, Satan. But I think we need this hope. I think we need hope in a God that transforms, that can bring real lasting change. Goodness knows some of us maybe have battled with fears and insecurities our whole work and lives and God just wants to come and put in your lap and say, enjoy a carefree retirement. I I, I wanna change how you see yourself and it's, it's not too late. That God might just want to drop something of a surprise on our laps. Although we should be careful not to romanticize the wilderness, 
In the Bible, it was a place of intimacy where God's new work began. This is what the wilderness symbolized when God got his people and kind of cornered them with all their mistakes and says, your mistakes haven't ruled you out. I'm going to lead you into a new place and into a new thing. And so the question then for us becomes, will we go there? If it's to ask it again from Mark's gospel, which I haven't read, it would have had much greater sense of urgency. Mark's all about immediately and, to, and, and at once, and he has this real sense of urgency about the kingdom of God because I think he knows. Well, like I hear you next week, I'll, I'll, I'll lean into that difficulty next. Next, yeah, I'm going to do that. I will. I promise. I will. And it never happens. And so with Mark's gospel, it become a real urgency. Then I ask us all again, not tomorrow will you decide, is today. Will you go there, to that place with him? And if we do, may we find rest in the God who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's take a moment and... I'm going to offer you the gift of time. This is not solitude because we're all here, but as, as we take a moment in the stillness and maybe just as the band begin to, to lead us again, just take a moment in the stillness to say, what's the missing conversation you would want to have with God? And just open that, allow that question to open you up to the spirit and that might start you in that journey to where you might go in that space, in that time that God offers you. What's, what's the conversation that you need to have with God that's been missing or the thing that you want to bring before him? Let's lean into that for a moment in the stillness and just invite God's spirit to, to lead us in this time as we come and give our lives again to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as deep calls out to deep, 
would you remind us again that we do not need to cower in your presence, but you have already invited us to boldly come to the throne of grace to find help in our place of need. Lord, may fear and shame not lock us out. Fear and shame that you have borne for us. May our weaknesses and our proclivities and things that would almost embarrass us in this room not exclude us, but help us to feel the mercy and love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Bring a deeper friendship with you into our experience of you. And once again, just disarm us with your love, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Let's continue to worship together.